when God is in it, all things are new. Again, the emphasis there is on His presence. Whatever you're going through, the need is His presence. And that's where our focus has been for this entire year. I said to you that the Lord put it strong on my heart to make His presence my passion. For us as a church to make His presence our passion. We set aside a night of worship. And I trust that you'll honor that time with your heart to pursue Him. To make His presence your passion. With that thought, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Take a moment and find your place there. I'll bring it on the screen here in just a moment. John chapter 15. I want you to see this incredible verse, verse 5. Let the words of Scripture just rise to speak to us today. John chapter 15, verse 5. It's coming on the screen now. The word says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's so much to teach out of John 15. My focus today is this word to remain. We've heard it through the years as abide. To abide in him. Matter of fact, other versions that use the word abide teach that in just a few verses, ten different times, The Lord very clearly speaks through John about the importance of abiding in Christ. To go to a life that has victory, a life that works, a life that is productive, it draws us back to our willingness to abide, to remain in Him. If He would put the word abide that many times, ten times in just six verses, then I think he is saying, make his presence your passion. John 15 was written right at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Many scholars believe that he had led his disciples by a vineyard, and he stops and he teaches about the vine and the branch. He teaches about the sustenance and life-giving power of the vine. And as long as the branch remains, then it has productivity. So when you know life is coming to an end, words are critical. Anything that Jesus said was important. But he's now about to end his earthly ministry. And he could have said a lot of things to his disciples in those closing hours. And he chooses... To remind them to keep his presence as their priority. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Ten different times in just six verses. Christianity is more than just a set of beliefs. It is a relationship. It is a relationship with Jesus. Abiding in his presence. Let me develop this. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Here's what it says. Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they may be with him, and that he might send them out to preach 
and to have authority to drive out demons. But notice what was first. It was to be with him. They were going to be productive. He was going to send them out. They would have authority. But notice that was what comes after abiding. Says first and foremost, he called these disciples to be with him, abiding in him. Everything that they would do would flow out of that level of relationship. The priests of the Old Testament were to minister to the people, but God made them to know they had nothing to offer the people until they had first brought their heart before God. It was first about putting themselves in his presence so that they would have anything to offer those they were leading. In the New Testament, we're called the priesthood of the believers, that we're saved and raised to the level of minister. But it's not first what we do outwardly. It's not first of all going in authority. It is first of all being with him, dwelling in him, abiding in him, and then we can go and be productive. The culture of Christianity is this level of relationship. Here's what Paul said, who planted church after church. He said, for me to live is Christ. It wasn't about what he was doing. It was about that opportunity to abide. Matter of fact, he said, here's my heart, to know him. That's what I want. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And I want to know him so passionately that I'll even choose those lessons that come through the fellowship of his suffering. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. We are called to an everlasting occupation with God. Everybody wants to know the will of God. I think knowing the will of God starts with making Jesus the center of our will. If we'll make him the center of our life and abide in him, his will will find us. We don't have to go find it. The focus is on abiding, making his presence our passion. Oswald Chambers says, we slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him. The purpose of the cross was to bring us to God so that the ultimate joy of our existence would never be found in what we do, but would be found in our relationship with him. It would be about Jesus. I have to confess to you that the convicting power of the Spirit in my heart coming into this year was don't try to lead for God if you're not going to passionately love God. He didn't die on the cross for me so I could lead. He died on the cross so I could be reconciled to Him and abide in Him with a heart of love for Him. John, who wrote about the vine and the branch, was... The disciple that had the longest ministry received the greatest amount of revelation. 
Church history even says that once they were trying to shut him up and they put him in a vat of oil and submerged him, took these long sticks and submerged him in a vat of oil, dropped the sticks, walked away and said, he's finished. Church history says he rose out of that boiling oil by the supernatural power of God, wiped his face and continued to declare the unsearchable riches of God's truth. So they couldn't kill him, so they exiled him. They put him on an island that, that rises out of the Aegean Sea. It was called Patmos. And it's where they sent people to starve and die. John would wake up every day and he wouldn't hear incredible praise and worship. He would hear the moan in a minor key of the dying. And in that culture, in that atmosphere, here's what the word says. And I, John, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was still abiding in Christ. And as a result, he gives us the revelation, the picture of Jesus. His head and hair were white like wool, eyes as the flame of fire, voice the sound of many waters. He saw Jesus as the one who held the keys of death and hell. Who said, I'm he that was dead, but I'm alive and alive forevermore. John knew and learned that life was all about being passionate for his presence. Our temptation is to make life about what we do. To make it about doing rather than being working instead of worshiping. Here's what A.W. Tozer says. We take converts and try to make them workers. We should first make them worshipers, and then the work that flows out of them will have eternity in it. Can you say a strong amen to that? Do you you hear the echo from this great follower of Christ just saying what John said? Just abide in Christ. Make His presence your passion. In Acts chapter 4, It's right after Peter and John had been used mightily of God for this dramatic miracle of a lame man who had been in that condition for over 40 years to be miraculously healed. And now he's leaping and praising God. Nobody had to teach him to walk. Nobody had to teach him to run. Nobody had to teach him to jump. He was healed and running and jumping and praising God. And this brought Peter and John into court. And here's what the leaders of the court said. After looking at Peter and John, these guys recognized that they had been with Jesus. His presence was their passion. Oh, that we could be a church that is just glowing with the glory of God. Because we love him, we abide in him, we're passionate for his presence. God invites us through Christ, no matter who we are. I think that we at times create a category for people who know Christ in this way as being these people that, that are different than us. Maybe they hadn't sinned as much 
or in the same way, or, or it, was, it was just determined for them, kind of predestined that they could know Christ in that intimacy, but we will never have that level of relationship with Him. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Moses had failed miserably, had committed murder and didn't speak very well, and yet he was drawn into such a close walk with God that it's Moses that says, you know what, God, you're you're saying you're going to send us forward and bless us, but you're not going to be with us, and we would rather not have your blessings without your presence, so don't send us another step. He stopped the entire church. The church was growing. A future of promised blessing. And Moses stopped everything and said, we're not taking another step unless you go with us. He was leading some three million people. I don't know how you communicate in a day like that with no technology so that everybody knows, but somehow it happened where they knew Moses has made the decision. We're not taking a step into our future without the presence of God. Oh, to have that as our passion. It was David who said, His love is better than life. To dwell in the courts of the Lord even one day is better than a thousand anywhere else. He said in one psalm that in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. At His right hand, pleasures forevermore. They say David wrote that verse when he was at the height as the king of Israel, where everything he saw was his. Every mighty man around him would die for him at a moment. He had land. He had resources. He was in the palace. He had everything. And so he goes into his private place, the the inter-sanctuary of the palace, and he takes his instrument and begins to worship. And he says, Lord, and hear the verse... In your presence, there's fullness of joy. I've got the presence of all this stuff. But Lord, you're the difference maker. He said, at your right hand, the right hand of God is the place of honor. David understood honor. David understood how the nation gave him honor. David understood how people submitted to that honor. He understood a culture of honor. He said, at your right hand, Pleasure forevermore. It's your honor, God, that makes the difference. It's living in honor of you. The presence of God. God worked worked with Rahab, the prostitute. Noah, who got drunk. Joseph, who was abused. David, who then committed adultery. Jeremiah, who was depressed. Jonah, who ran from God. Coming to the New Testament, and he works with a Samaritan woman who had many divorces. He works with Peter who denied Christ. The disciples who fell asleep when Jesus needed them most. Person after person was given this incredible invitation to just draw near to God and abide in Him. We've got to make His presence our passion. Whatever it takes. If I took 
one of my children to the doctor and the doctor diagnosed one of my children, God forbid, with some kind of illness and said, look, here's the prescription. But if your child doesn't get this once a day, your child won't make it. I want to tell you, if we left home one day and forgot the medicine, I don't care how busy or how important my task, I would say, I'll be back because I've got to go take care of something that is more important. I don't care how full our schedules, if everybody had a ball game and was in a tournament, it was a round robin, and they all played all day, all night, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas or Easter or, or hunting season. See, it wouldn't matter because essential to my child's life is that medicine. I would know that. So, so nothing would ever keep me, nothing would keep my wife and me from making sure my child had that which was essential to his life. We've got to get back to a place where we see that the presence of God is essential to life. And that no matter how busy we are, we still make time to abide. No matter how many things we have going on, we will not allow that, that passion for His presence to ever be replaced with a passion for something that we're more passionate about than His presence. See, John, who wrote about the vine and the branches, the one who wrote about the church, who left their first love. They lost that passion. And if you study that church, if he left that one part out, it would be a, a, a front runner on the short list for church of the year. It was doing so many good things. And John even wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, all of these things, are, they're great. But you're missing the one thing. And the most important thing. See, that church had learned what we've learned in the American church. We've learned how to succeed apart from the presence of God. We've learned how to experience a, a level of blessing like God promised Israel apart from the presence of God. But unlike Moses, we've been satisfied with success apart from Him. But what happens is we end up numb. We end up still with something missing. We, we, even in our success, there's, there's a misery on the inside because we'll never get away from the fact that the cross was not about success in life. It was about relationship with Jesus. So we'll be convicted until we are passionate for His presence. John, it, as I'm reading his book, it just seems that he wanted more. So if, if he's the vine and we're the branch and, and we've got to remain in him, it, it, then as you read the book of John, he just goes on this pursuit. So in John 6.35, he learns that Jesus is the bread of life. John 8 verse 12, he learns that Jesus is the light of the world. In John chapter 10, verse 7, he learns that he's the gate. Chapter 10, verse 11, 
that he's the good shepherd. Chapter 11, verse 25, that he's the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 26, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 15, that he is the vine. And every one of those I am statements that he learned about Jesus are all relational. See, when you're abiding in him, he's the bread, so you're never hungry. When you're abiding in him, though there's darkness all around, he's the light, so you have light. When you are trying to process life and its many decisions, because you're abiding in him, you know where the gate is. You know where the access is. You know where the direction is. Though you have all of these issues going on, there's a death process that is working because you're abiding in him. You know that he's the resurrection and the life. And he tells you, even though you die, you'll live. Come on. This is exciting that we can abide in him and learn of him. That in this day of pluralism, where there are so many ways to God that are being presented by the media and by major personalities in the world. It's good to just abide in him and be reminded that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And there's no power that can separate us from that truth. We're just productive and we're abounding and we're thriving and we're victorious and we're motivated and we have momentum because we're abiding in the vine and that that oil of presence that power of God is filling us the branch and we're bearing fruit more fruit and much fruit we're living in the abundance of which Christ said he came to offer it's all because we've made his presence our passion our passion Praise the Lord. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, we have been too easily pleased. Somewhere we have formed a concept of Christ and settled with it. So few really grasp the invitation to great adventure. They try to reduce God to nothing but religion, then grow bored with the image they created. As a result, hearts become accidents waiting to happen. For our souls were instead created to exalt and dance in holy passion. And if we don't find it in the Holy One, we'll search for it amid the smoldering heaps of the unholy. He says, I have burn scars to prove it. And I do too. And I say I want His presence to be my passion to really believe that one day in his presence is better than a thousand to so trust his presence that I live in faith and I release his word over my days my kids my needs That I'm walking in the sustaining presence. I'm walking in the anointed presence. I'm walking in the empowering presence. I'm walking in the victorious presence. I'm experiencing the fulfillment 
of Christianity that goes beyond a belief system, but into a relationship. I've made his presence my passion, so it opened the door of my Christian heart so that I could have a level of fellowship until it burns within me, until it is more precious to me than anything else, until it is the desire. And that is where the spirit man is so resourced that we're able to resist flesh, we're able to see sin for what it is, We, like Joseph, would never want to defile ourselves. And like Daniel, we would never want to defile ourselves. We have found something in our relationship with Jesus to, like David, notice that it's so profound to me that he says, Lord, my flesh and my spirit long for you. My flesh has never longed for Jesus. David was so passionate for the presence of God that there was an alignment with his heart his soul and his mind and his body until they, he was consumed. And even when he sinned, the one thing he didn't want to lose was the presence of God. Take not thy presence from me. I, I say to you that if we'll make his presence our passion, we'll move into an abundance of power and will in no way try to manipulate that to present ourselves as something that we're really not. It'll be power for victorious living. It'll be power to manage our emotions when we're in traffic or we've just received the the most challenging news from a doctor concerning a loved one. It'll be power for living It'll be power for doing life in a spirit of overcoming because the spirit of the overcomer dwells in us and we're dwelling in him. David, he understood. And so when he goes to check on his brothers and realizes there's an enemy threatening God, he says, I will fight him. He goes before Saul And he says, I'll fight this giant. And listen to what he says. He says, the same God that gave me the lion and the bear, the lion and the bear that came out to attack the sheep, his job was that of a shepherd. So notice the presence of God was functional in his daily life. He needed the presence of God in his context to help him protect the sheep, which was the family business. And he said, when the lion and the bear came out, he was able to defeat them and protect the sheep. And then he went on to say, saw the same God that gave me the lion and the bear is the same God that will give me victory over Goliath. Everybody else in the Israeli army was talking about how big Goliath was. And they were telling David and telling God how big Goliath was. David is telling God and Goliath and Saul and the Israeli army how big God was. See, he's dwelling in the presence. 
So he's, he's living in this concept of God that's greater than anything life can present to you. So he had a response, and it wasn't fear. He literally, when he was given release to go fight, he ran, the Bible says. He wasn't apprehensive. He ran to that battle because his emotions and heart and life were not governed by the circumstance, but by the power of God. I believe he cultivated that while he was there on the hillside keeping the sheep. We must cultivate this relationship through our prayer time. And if we'll see it as essential to life, like medicine to a, to a child, we'll make time for it. And then as life happens, lions, bears, and giants, and it always happens that way, we will have a response. And the giant is no more challenging to us than the bear because it's not the size or the strength of my enemy. It's always about the power of God. And I've experienced God, and there's no match for God. Can you join me today in knowing that if we'll get passionate for His presence, we'll have a response to whatever life has, no matter what comes against us. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Let's praise Him today that He is that kind of God. We celebrate that. And here is the challenge. Will you make His presence your passion? It, it is far easier to give mental assent that what I'm saying is true. But we've got to enter in the spiritual disciplines of solitude and, and meditating on scripture and intercessory prayer and worship. Until we cultivate this relationship. Some of you, you've been attending here as long as I have. I've been here three years now. And we have never had the opportunity to just sit down one-on-one. -on -one. Now, I can say I know you, and you can say you know me. You can say I'm your pastor, because we do have a connection. But if we're going to know each other more than we do now, we're going to have to do something that we haven't done before. We're going to have to take it to another level. We're going to have to make some kind of commitment of time and place so that we can interact in a more personal way. And the more I know your story, and the more you know my story, then I'm not just this person you're acquainted with. There's a deeper connection that happened by abiding, by being together, being with each other. And that is exactly the, the word today. We can be aware that we know God and God knows us, and, and we can just take this acquaintance of a relationship into the week. Or we can get passionate and do some things we've not done before. We can go on a fast. We can separate some things out of our life in order to, to give more volume to the voice of God in our life. We can read the scripture more than we ever have. We can pray more than we ever have. You see, we'll, we'll never have to say, I don't have time. Because none of us have time for anything we do. We make time for what we want to do. We make time for what's really important to us. As busy as we all are, we still do that. So if this really becomes a passion, we're going to make the time. And I want to tell you, there will be no comparison. There will be no comparison to the life where we're acquainted with God and the life where we're in relationship with God. There will be no comparison.
the level of victory in your life, the level of victory in this church. There will be a move of God among us when there is a move of God in us. To where we don't want God so we can have great church services. We want God because he died on a cross so we could know him. Lord, I just pause right now and just turn in prayer to you. Please see our desire to be worshipers. And to not have this religious experience, but a relationship that is dynamic, that is growing more and more and more and more. When I read the life of John, there was just always more of the activity of God happening in his life because there was a passion of God rising every day for more of you. Oh God, put that in our hearts today. This will give us the response to the challenges of life. This will give us everything we need because you are everything we need in you is the fullness of life you are the vine and we are the branch if we remain in you everything's going to work if not we'll not be able to succeed in any way there's nothing we can do apart from you with your eyes closed in the presence of God Sincerely search your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. See if there be anything that you're more passionate about than His presence. Search your heart. See, is that the essence of your Christian journey where it's relationship or has become more about belief? and working for Him than just worshiping Him and then letting your leadership, your work, rise out of a heart of worship and love. It's so easy to, to functionally leave our first love. We get busy working for God and we're not spending any time with God. And we end up ministering and living out of yesterday's touch. Yesterday's anointing. And it's got some lifespan to it. But just like the manna, it gets old and unhealthy. And we need to go out every day and wait for that fresh manna. I need you, Jesus. I need you more than anything. I need you more than the air I breathe. Let's sing that again. Just tell him. I need you,
today we want to tell you from our hearts from our hearts Lord that we will make your presence our passion we'll make you our passion and you'll see the follow through on that and the kind of adjustments we make to live out that passion we all understand what that's about and what that means You'll speak to each person and oh, how you will meet with them in fresh ways. Oh, the, the future that is before us as we walk with a passion for you is abundant and beyond anything we could ask or think. I thank you that it's going to be my response to the lions, the bears, and the giants. That it is my victory, it is my strength, it is my wisdom, it is my peace, it is my power. It's everything. And I give you the glory for it. In your name, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, why don't we give him a standing ovation of worship this morning. Come on and give him a great praise for being so merciful and so good. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you, we exalt you. As we set out on this new passion for Him, what a great opportunity tonight. It starts at 6 o'clock. Don't miss it. We'll look forward to seeing you. You're dismissed.